Let me tell you a story and why don't you take a guess who this story is about? Okay. This was in the year 1955. A young man who was a boatman's son was standing outside the gates of a very prestigious college called the Madras Institute of Technology. He had gained admission into this college, but he did not have the money to pay the fees for it. So he was standing outside the college, unsure of what he could do, when his sister came running. She came with the money that he needed for his college fees. So he turned around and asked her where she got the money from. And she smiled and told him that I'd sold all my jewellery and I have great faith in your ability to put this money to good use, study very well and go on to achieve some great things. The boatman's son was very grateful to his sister. He took the money and he went on to study aerospace engineering. He was one of the first group of scientists whom Dr. Vikram Sarabhai handpicked when he wanted to send the first sounding rocket from Tumba. Do you know who I'm speaking about here? Abdul Kalam? Yes, it is Dr. Abdul Kalam that I'm talking about. Where does he hail from? He's from Rameshwaram. He hailed from very difficult circumstances. Yep. In our previous episode in this podcast series, we left off with a group of scientists from ISRO who had successfully launched what is called the INSAT series of satellites. And thanks to these satellites, people in the 80s and the 90s were able to see those great TV shows like the Ramayana, the Jungle Book and many more. While all of this was happening, at the same time, another group of scientists in ISRO were working on putting together a satellite launch vehicle, which was called the SLV. Three, I think your generation will really be able to connect with SLV-3 because SLV-3 um, was the predecessor to all these majestic rockets that you all see taking off. You do see some videos on YouTube, right, of all these rocket launches. So what do you normally see on these videos in social media? I see rocket actually launching, there'll be a commentator commenting on how the rocket is launching. So many people cheering for the rocket launching. Your generation has gotten used to seeing all these incredible launches, right, from Sri Kota. These launches did not happen from Indian shores until 1979. So to talk about how we got to this position, where we can get to launch our own satellites from our own Indian shores. I'm joined by a very curious 12-year-old. Hi, listeners to What's New Today. I'm Dray and I'm 12 years old. Thank you, Dray, for introducing yourself to the listeners of What's New Today. So for those of you who don't know who I am, I'm Sangeeta, the host of this podcast channel. And this is part six of our podcast series on tracing India's space journey right from its very origins when the very first rocket lifted off from Tumba. So if you haven't heard those episodes before, I earnestly recommend that at the end of this episode, please scroll down and you'll find part one. Then do begin listening to the sequence of stories. Now coming back to what Thray and I were discussing. What is a satellite and what is a satellite launch vehicle? Satellite is basically the thing that orbits the actually orbits the planet after it is released. 
it sends pictures and data to the earth but a satellite launch vehicle is the like you can describe it as a rocket itself all the fire and smoke comes from the launch vehicle and each part falls down to earth after its fuel gets over wow very well put now india had sent its first satellite into space many years ago and it was a satellite called aryabhatta who helped us launch that which country soviet union yes indeed so in 1975 like you rightly said we had not developed an ability to you know have a rocket that could take off from sri harikota and then send our first satellite aryabhatta into space but dr vikram sarabhai had already envisioned that someday india should have its own ability to build its own slv in fact just on the day of his death also dr vikram sarabhai had met a team and they were all discussing that how to get the slv3 up and ready and uh, he passed away so the whole project got delayed a little bit so it was only 1979 that we were able to launch the first slv by that time the chairman of isro was professor satish dhawan the mission director for this satellite launch vehicle was dr abdul kalam the person about whom we were speaking uh, in the very early part of this episode his very first attempt to launch slv3 from sri harikota was a failure so here's dr kalam speaking about it 1979 slv3 satellite launch vehicle i was the project director mission director my mission is to put the satellite in the orbit thousands of people worked nearly 10 years i reached the sri harikota and it's in the launch pad countdown was going on T minus five minutes, T minus one, one minute, T minus forty seconds. Computer put a hold. Don't launch it. I am the mission director. I have to take decision. Behind me there are six experts. They saw the problem is there's a leakage in the system. I finally I took a decision. I bypassed the computer. I launched the system. First stage worked with a four stage rocket, and second stage got mad. it went to the spin instead of putting the satellite in the orbit it put in the bay of bengal <laughs> 1979 it was a failure just like what dr kalam said right the slv3 was a failure instead of putting the satellite into the orbit it put it inside the bay of bengal and a lot of people made fun of our isro scientists and they called the slv sea loving vehicle A few years later, we tried another vehicle called the augmented satellite vehicle, where we wanted to send higher weights and higher payloads into space. That also failed in the initial few attempts, and it also went into the Bay of Bengal. So people made even more fun of it, saying, "Always see loving vehicle." If you had been one of the ISRO scientists, how would you have reacted if people had made fun of all your efforts? I would have felt really bad because I made such a big effort to do it, but people are making fun of it. I would feel really bad. But what would you do then after that? Probably cry and never try it again. Never try it again? Well, maybe try it again after a very long time. Yes. Yeah. Do you think that's what ISRO scientists did? Uh, I don't think so. You don't think so? How do you think they reacted? Um, 
probably they were like, I don't actually care what the people think. I want to launch it anyway, so I'm going to launch it. They would have gone back and gone back to the drawing board and tried to find what mistakes they made, and yeah. immediately focused on the task and not focused on the criticism that people gave. Right? Yeah. Yeah. But like you rightly said, if you were the main person, and if all the criticism came only towards you, right, it becomes very hard for you to pull yourself up. But here's what Dr. Kalam has to say about how he was able to deal with it. It was a fail first time. I experienced my failure. How do you manage the failure? Success I can manage. So at that time, a great man, a great leader, Professor Satish Dhawan, he comes to me. I am very tired, working nearly for months. It wakes me up. Come, let us go for a press conference. I was highly frightened. I will be the culprit <laughs> because I am the project director, mission director. What Satish Dhawan said. Dear friends, we have failed today. I want to support my technologists and scientists and staff so that next year they succeed. So he took the whole blame himself. He received the criticism. He assured them in a year we will succeed with our team. It's a very good team. Next year, here only interesting happened. Next year, July 18, 1980, when he succeeded, Professor Dawan said, "You go and conduct the press conference." You follow what it means. It means when the failure occurred, the leader took it up. When the success came, he used his team. You know, we heard Abdul Kalam uh, speak about how his second launch was a successful launch, right? I read two very interesting stories surrounding the success of this launch on a book written by a senior ISRO scientist called R. R. Ramamudan. I'd like to read aloud those stories to you. You know, and um, you tell me what you think of it. So the first story is the day before the second SLV three launch was scheduled on the eighteenth of July, nineteen eighty. He writes that the mood was very tense um, this time around, and Professor Satish Dhawan had decided to allow Doordarshan to telecast the launch. So that was the first time ever we were going to actually telecast and see the whole launch. Until then, we had never seen the launch on TV. but doordarshan was not yet equipped to do a live telecast so they could record the telecast and then play it subsequently during a news uh, time on the doordarshan tv channel so isro people came up with a brilliant idea they had tethered a huge balloon with a transponder inside it and it was halfway between sriharikota and madras Because Madras had the nearest Doordarshan telecast center. Why was Doordarshan so famous? And even if a lot of people listen to it, not everyone would be able to. Doordarshan was the only uh, television channel in those days. You did not have all these choices that you have today. Only one channel was there. Not everyone would watch television, but there would be some people who didn't know. That is true. At least the people who had TV could see it on Doordarshan, right? What about putting it on the local newspaper? This would have been printed on the newspaper also. But at least everyone would get to know. That's my point. Yeah, that is true. More people would get to know about it when they read about it on the newspaper. Yeah. yeah. Coming back to our story, a big, huge balloon was tethered in a place called Gumidi Pundi, which is 
between Sriharikota and Madras and a long strong cable secured it firmly to the ground. And uh, this ISRO scientist called R. Aravamudan and one more very famous scientist called Yashpal, these two people were going to do the commentary. And uh, Aravamudan's wife, Geeta, was also invited to join because she was not a scientist. So she could ask questions from a regular, no, common man's point of view. Like me on the podcast. Like you on the podcast, yeah, something like that. So Aravamudan and his wife, Geeta, left their children with their grandparents in Bangalore. And the children were very excited at the prospect of seeing their parents on TV. But just the night before the telecast, they found out that the balloon had blown away. Can you guess why? Sri Harikota is very windy. Yeah. So like you rightly said, no one had accounted for the strong winds which rolled through Gumudi Pundi, which was the place where the balloon was tethered. They simply had to record the whole commentary. And then carried the recording physically and took it by road to the Doordarshan Center in Madras. Why did they just get another balloon? No, this is year 1980. It's not like all resources were would be available at the beck and call of the scientists. That one balloon is flown away, let's get another balloon. Things would not have been available that easily in 1980. Okay. Okay, now here's another very interesting story about the actual launch itself. Now, here's what happened just a few minutes before the rocket took off. Now, every rocket is connected to the ground using two cables, I believe. And these cables are called umbilical cables. Now, one cable comes off automatically when the rocket takes off. But the other one is much heavier. And it is detached remotely with an electrical command. Like a switch that, you know, they would uh, use from within the ISRO control room. Now, this remote control cable simply refused to come off. There was some problem with the electrical command. Obviously, the launch cannot take place with a cable that is still stuck. So, they put a hole to the launch. Now, nobody can go near the rocket and physically take the cable off either because the rocket is now fully loaded with whatever fuel that they needed. Okay. But then the saviour of the day was a technician called Bappaya. Hmm? What do you think he did? He engineered the electrical signal so that it actually did come off. Yeah, that would have been a safer bet. But they did not have, I think, that kind of time where they could fiddle around and figure out how to get the electrical command to work. So instead, the only other option available was he volunteered to climb up the launch tower manually and coax the cable off. This tower was quite high. It was about 60 feet high. Bappaya quickly climbed a 60 feet tall tower and gave the cable a hefty kick with his leg. And mercifully, that cable came off. The rest, of course, is history. As Aravamudan writes, the flight was a maiden success, a milestone in ISRO's history. What did you think of this technician, Bappaya's efforts? I think you should get a medal for bravery. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah! India had its fair share of multiple failures where we contributed to the ocean floor of the Bay of Bengal by promptly letting quite a few of our satellite launch vehicles go there. But 
the space scientists at ISRO were unfazed and they continued building more and more powerful launch vehicles, so much so that today we have some of the most reliable satellite launch vehicles in the entire world. Such a big success that I think the people should be cheering their heads off right now. Yeah, I know. I'm pretty sure that I, I danced a jig. It was incredible. That moment was something. But yeah, no, coming back. Why do you think you need a more powerful satellite launch vehicle? If you need to go to, like, let's say you don't just want to go to Mars, you want to go to Saturn, then you need a much more powerful launch vehicle. That's right. Can you think of another reason? If a satellite launch vehicle is carrying a heavier payload, then it will need more fuel to carry that payload alone. That's true. Absolutely right. So, if because now we're sending heavier and heavier satellites that can do more and more things, uh, we will definitely need uh, satellite launch vehicles uh, that are more and more powerful. And like you rightly said, now we want to send satellites to not just orbit Earth, right? We want to send them to the moon, the Mars, Saturn, and maybe like the Voyager went right out of the solar system. Someday India will also send a satellite that will go right out of the solar system. Fast forward to the year 1994. India launched one of the most powerful satellite launch vehicles in the world. It's called the PSLV or the Polar Satellite Launch Vehicle. It's so reliable and cost-efficient that even front-runners in the space race like the United States and France come to India to get their satellites launched on the PSLV. Okay, I'm going to say something. Tell me if I'm serious or joking. When a satellite launch vehicle takes off and releases a satellite into orbit, it can only take carry one satellite and release only one satellite into orbit. Am I serious or joking? You're joking. Once there were 104 satellites launched by just one rocket, but it needed a lot of fuel to go because of the weight of the satellites. Absolutely right. In fact, until very recently, ISRO held the record for the maximum number of satellites launched in a single go, which was 104, like you said. But a few years ago, another company in the United States called SpaceX. Have you heard of Elon Musk? Yeah, I have actually. He bought Twitter. Yeah, he also runs a company called SpaceX. It's a company like, like ISRO that also builds its own rockets and launches them. Yep. So Elon Musk, SpaceX um, recently set the new record. I think they launched a little more than 140 satellites in one go. But that said, uh, it, it is definitely a feather in ISRO's cap when they were able to set that world record a few years ago. Which do you think is more difficult? Let's say if I have a satellite launch vehicle that carries one satellite with 700 kilo payload versus one satellite launch vehicle or a rocket that carries 100 different satellites, each with 7 kilo payload. Which do you think is tougher? The second one, because it has to release all the rockets precisely in time and it should not crash. Yeah, they shouldn't crash into each other, right? So it's pretty tricky. The math and physics involved in releasing a hundred different tiny little satellites, it's quite tricky, right? Yeah, So very tricky. Th 
As part of my research for this episode, I came across two photographs. One was taken in August of 1979. You can see a huge rocket being carried on a giant machine in Sriharikota. And in the photograph, standing right next to it are two people, Dr. Kalam and Professor Satish Dhawan. This was taken a few days before the failed attempt of SLV-3. The other photo is that of a 1 rupee stamp released by India in 1981. On one side, it has a picture of a satellite and the word Rohini written under it. And on the other side, you can find the words SLV-3 written in Hindi. The stories for this episode were sourced from Dr. Kalam's book Wings of Fire and ISRO A Personal History, authored by R. Aravamudan along with his wife Geeta Aravamudan. In the next episode, you'll hear stories about ISRO's missions to Mars, the Moon and much more. Okay.